We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Uh, we are back on the uh, podcasting form uh, platform, I should say, after a, a bit of a hiatus, got to take a, uh, a little bit of a step back during the, the holiday season, which was much needed and, and uh, really got to enjoy that. But um, as you know, things don't ever stop. So we were still covering the Alamo Bowl and, and uh, you know, recruiting and the various storylines that come along with that. But um, that was kind of a long intro. I'm joined today on the podcast by Stephen Blanchett to talk some ducks. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Alamo Bowl, some coaching hires, some uh, recruiting news, and and a whole bunch of good stuff today. But uh, Stephen, how are you doing, man? Happy New Year, and and glad to have you back. Doing great. Happy New Year, Max. Hope you enjoyed the holidays. Thanks for having me back. Excited to talk some more Ducks news. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So um, I want to start with the freshest news um, that we have kind of at the moment, um, particularly with, with recruiting. Um Ducks getting things started in the 2023 class with uh, a big commitment coming from cornerback Cole Martin uh, out of Chandler, Arizona, Basha High School. Um, really, really big name to to start off the 2023 class. Uh, you know, a lot of people will, will recognize this name, seeing that the Ducks just hired uh, Demetrius Martin, um, Cole Martin's father, to become the next cornerbacks coach. So the the timing kind of uh, aligned there, and then that was. Uh, pretty favorable and you can understand why it's a good situation for um for for uh cole martin to to hop on board here and, and i think it's good for dan landing because you get things started in 23 with a, a pretty big defensive name uh, a west coast guy um or out west i guess you could say west coast isn't really arizona obviously but i think that that state kind of falls into the umbrella of of out west um as we kind of peel back the layers here steven what are your kind of uh reactions to this addition for the ducks Really excited about it. Like he's mentioned, his father was just hired as the cornerbacks coach. So I'm sure if the decision wasn't final, that was probably the kicker that got him over to Eugene. So really excited about him overall. Number nine quarterback in, cornerback in the nation, 87th player, ranked nationally according to 24-7 sports. So he's certainly a stud, four stars, first commitment of the class. So making a splash with that, it's, you know, it's always nice to see Lanning did some good things with the 2022 class with what he could. And I think this is a big name for him to start off in 2023. Had a lot of offers from a lot of different schools, Alabama, Notre Dame, 
USC, I think 30 other ones as well. So highly recruited kid, uh, played offense, defense, and special teams as well, which a lot of kids do nowadays. But it's really good, especially in the secondary, I think, to be able to have that experience of playing on both sides of the ball so that you're more able to diagnose, you know, schemes, plays, routes, running lanes, that kind of thing. So kid's a really good player. Watch some tape on him. I'm really excited. I think it's a big defensive hit going into our 42023. We're going to be, it looks like we're shaping up to be a more defensive minded team going forward, especially under landing. So I'm excited about him. One of the things I like, Stephen, about Cole Martin is is really how explosive he is. You talk about the experience that he has on on special teams, and you know I was watching some tape of uh, of his as well, and you see him making some pretty big plays as a kick returner. So um, you know I think back to a little bit about Mikel Wright and how he made his impact felt for the Ducks pretty early as a, as a freshman um, returning kicks, which is you know super valuable. The Ducks special teams were were definitely not a strength this year, especially on the particularly rather, I should say, on the uh, kickoff and, and punting units. Thompson did a great job kicking the ball uh, majority of the year, but they just really didn't get a whole lot out of the return game in particular. So I think that'll be really valuable, and he's got a lot of speed. With with uh, kind of the way that college football is right now, it's it's a passing, you know, I would, the Pac-12, I'd say, is a passing conference, but college football as a whole, you know, a lot of the best teams can really, really let it rip downfield and, have some explosive playmakers. So getting a guy like Martin to uh, kind of counter that, and especially when you're looking at the skill guys that uh, Lincoln Riley is going to bring in, be bringing in at USC, I think it's a, a great position to, to start with in the 23 class. Totally agree. Kid's got elite speed. That was actually the first thing I noticed when I was watching his tape. It starts off at least the one I saw with a few different special teams plays that he made as well as some interceptions that he took to the house and kids got elite speed. I'm not sure what his 40 time is or what his hundred yard time is, but I'm sure it's very impressive. So, you know, like you mentioned, college football is certainly not just the PAC 12, but overall has really become, you know, been shifting to a more offensive air raid sort of style and speed and space type of thing. And so you've got to have speedy guys out there in the secondary. And this certainly, this guy certainly, you know, satisfies what you're looking for in that position. Another interesting thing about kind of the timing of this is that it's a 2023 guy and it really felt like before Cristobal left Oregon, they were just getting really close to, to pushing ahead to 23. I think a lot of the schools that you see pushing ahead to 23 pretty early, I mean, the, the early signing period is obviously behind us now, um, but I still feel like in the calendar year with recruiting, um, those teams pushing into 23, it's pretty early. So I feel like those teams that did that, they had really strong 22 classes. And that's not to say that Oregon's 2022 class isn't good right now, but certainly isn't what it was when, when crystal ball left. So I find that it's kind of interesting that, um, they're getting into 23, even when they obviously have some work to do in, in 22, but, uh, just kind of going off that, I think it's great to have a guy like Martin in 23 to start things off because he's highly rated. He's a West coast guy. Um, and this 2023 class is going to be the first recruiting cycle that we can really, uh, I think, fairly judge Dan Lanning off of. Because whoever he gets in 2022 as his final group, that's not, you know, that's not everyone that he was working with, you know, right? Those are going to be some of the guys that that committed and have since signed uh, under Cristobal when he was at Oregon. So getting his first true class off to a start like this, I think, is uh, is really valuable. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and with regarding the 2022 class, you're right. It's not like it's a bad class. It certainly took a little bit of a hit. But really, I'm impressed with what Dan Lanning was able to do in terms of salvage, what he was able to salvage from that class. Uh, and I think included in that is obviously the seven McGee situation. I think you can include that, even though he's obviously not a 2022 recruit. But I sort of put that in the same boat. So with what he did with the 2022 class and then this being his first recruiting hit for 2023. And like you mentioned, it is early. I'm very imp- you know, impressed, but also encouraged about what that 2023 class is potentially going to look like and what irons are in the fire. Cause it seems like from with what the situation was a few weeks ago with Cristobal leaving to say that the thing that this whole situation was salvaged, I think would be an understatement. I think, I think landing in the staff have sort of excelled with what they were kind of given to start. And there's still uh, just about a month left before the the final signing yeah. period, if you want to call it that, in February. So they still yeah. have even more time um, to to do some work. And I think it's so big. This kind of transitions into our next point, Stephen, with uh, him building out the coaching staff. It's big for him to do it when he has, because obviously, if unless you're living under a rock, you know that Lanning's going to be playing uh, for a national championship, or the the Georgia Bulldogs are rather. But he is uh, still going to be occupied, you know, helping. Uh, hopefully, you know, put the the nice finishing touches on a on a really strong 2021 season with the Bulldogs. Uh, just over a week from today, uh, a week from today exactly, actually, is uh, when that national championship is scheduled. But uh, it's pretty tremendous that he's put together the staff that he has, all while still being the coach, the defensive coordinator for Georgia, and they got some pretty big names coming on board. I know that there are a couple that we wanted to talk to talk about uh, today. Um, Still waiting for official confirmation, but it looks like things are definitely trending in the right direction as far as those new hires. Yeah, some like you mentioned, it's not official yet, but I think the junior Adams hire is pretty much set in stone, right? So that's really exciting. Wilson Love also, I think, is going to be a really big hire, especially with how popular uh, Aaron Feld was here around Eugene and around the program. So the coaching staff is pretty much filled out right now. Don't think there are really any vacancies except for potential behind the scenes analysts or that kind of thing. But it's really looking like overall a youth movement of sorts for this new complete Ducks coaching staff, which I'm excited about. I mean, talking about landing real quick in terms of him still being at Georgia, I was really pumped every time he got some screen time during the Georgia Michigan game. I was just very excited because you can tell how engaged this man is with football, how his players are locked in when it comes to their assignments and what they're supposed to be doing. And he recruited all these guys along with Kirby smart, obviously, but he recruited all these guys and there are some freak athletes on that team. So I just kept watching that game sort of salivating, right. And being just, just kept thinking over and over Mullins knocked it out of the park with this hire. So that game got me really excited. That screen time that he got during the Georgia-Michigan game was, was definitely uh, an exciting little bit. Uh, I saw another clip from the locker room. I don't know if it was like the halftime speech that he had, or it was. I think it was during the um, during the that Georgia-Michigan game, just saying, you know, show show them that we're doing it different. Just really uh, awesome stuff to get his guys fired up. But um, yeah, you you talk about the the. I'm sorry, give me a second here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, that screen time that he got in the the Georgia game, um, I think that was great. I saw some tweet about that kind of being some recruiting exposure for Oregon because, yeah. you know, they had the Dan Landing and then they had the little, uh, you know, lower third 
under that and said hired as Oregon head coach on December 11th. So, you know, you got to think about how many people are tuning into those games. Obviously, a lot of recruits are watching these top teams play. And I don't know. I don't want to make more of it than than it is. Obviously, he's not. It's not like he's coaching for the Ducks. Ducks are playing in that big of a stage right now. But it's definitely some good things for for Oregon, for recruits, for people that are you know trying to find out more about Dan Lanning to see that he's coaching in these big time games. And and obviously, he's going to take all that experience with him uh, when he starts running the show in Eugene here. Exactly, and I think. I wouldn't say it was a knock, but maybe some potential concerns, if you will, that some people had here in Eugene when Landing was hired was his quote unquote lack of experience without being a head coach. And so you're right, the exposure of these big games, we knew he could do it. People who watched college football all season knew that he could coach an elite team and get them to an elite level, which he's done. But yeah, I mean, with the with the little amount of time that he was given screen time and sort of mentioned and talked about throughout that broadcast during the game. I think it was great for recruiting exposure for anybody who's watching and potentially considering the ducks or had been in conversation with the ducks and was maybe reconsidering things after Cristobal left. I mean, honestly, everything's been positive. I, 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 I haven't thought anything negative that I've heard in terms of news with hires regarding landing and the staff he's building out. I think everything's I'm almost concerned. I'm too excited about next year. and might have a little too high expectations. Yeah, and and I think with um, uh, with I was talking to George Reitster on one of my previous episodes of the the Duck Dish podcast, and he had a really good point that goes to what you were saying about how some people are critical of the hire because of the lack of experience. You got to get it at some point. I can yeah. understand that that people maybe find comfort in hiring, say, someone like Elaine Kiffin who does have head coaching experience. But it's like Lanning said in the presser when I was you know sitting there front row when he got introduced. You know, I think he he address that point directly saying, you know, I know I'm a young guy and I haven't been a head coach before, but uh, I'm looking at quality of experience over quantity of experience from, from my situation. Cause he was, I mean, at those press conferences, what are you doing, Steven? You're selling yourself, you know, he, he's telling these fans and, and uh, you know, national pundits and everybody looking at him, Hey, this is why I was the guy for the job. But I think it was, it was kind of in regards to uh, a question from Eric Scopel, one of my good uh, buddies in the Oregon market, you know, why are you qualified for this? And and it, I think that was kind of his answer was along those lines. So he's, he's done it at a high level as a coach before, and he had to get his shot eventually. And I think that I, I really like the, uh, the youth movement and um, he's obviously bringing in some really talented minds around him that have experience from a variety of levels, um, whether it be Adrian Clem at, at with the Steelers Um that's going to be a huge uh, hire, I think. Oh, That's yeah. going to be absolutely huge, especially with Cristobal leaving and his connection with the big boys up front, right? I mean, that was extremely evident, both with him being a player and as an offensive lineman and a former offensive line coach specifically for the Ducks when he was also a coordinator. So that's a huge thing. The offensive line, I think, is the most important group in football in terms of the success of a team, not position individually, but mo- the most important group position positional grouping so that was i think that's going to be a huge hire for him and honestly we just to kind of piggyback on what we were saying about the potential the lack of experience from landing at the same the other flip of the coin that oregon fans were worried about was this job potentially being a stepping stone job right well giving him this opportunity this early on as well as this really young coaching staff i think ensures a little bit of longevity because this opportunity has been given to these guys and you know, there's probably going to be some loyalty 
coming back, especially if there's success. And you and I talked about it earlier, too, on an earlier podcast. If the University of Oregon becomes a program that's a factory for hot coordinators getting jobs, you can't complain about that because that generally means it's incredible off and, or on-field success. So if you have stability at the head coaching position and you're just churning out NFL coordinators, I'd love to be in that position. So everything kind of points to that longevity, which I would trade for lack of experience. Granted, you get the on-field success. Yeah. And I think that point also correlates with a lot of recruits, right? You know, I've been learning, I've been covering recruiting for a number of years now. And and one of the points that I've kind of learned about a little bit more recently is, is, um, you know, the timing of those offers, you know, we're seeing guys, I, I tweeted about someone getting offered by the ducks yesterday. That's 2025 kid. I mean, I think that that uh, it's pretty early and I think a, a pretty unique timing with, with that offer, but to your point, it's it's showing that faith. You know who who had faith in you, uh, who had the confidence to give you that first shot. I think that that's going to be something that's really valuable here. And then Landing said that I can I'm confident this could be you know a, a final stop for me. Yeah. Um, you know talking about he was joking about you know unless William Jewell College comes calling. But I, I love William Jewell College, but uh, this is that big time offer that I was looking for that premier brand and opportunity. So that was huge. Uh, I want to get back, Stephen, to what we were talking about with with Junior Adams before we get too sidetracked. I think this is yep. a, a, it's a, it's a, I think on the surface it's certainly a good hire when you can uh, steal from your rival. Um, obviously, DeBoer is bringing in his own staff over there, but um, I think the wide receiver position was uh, a relative strength for for UW. I think they kind of, when I think about their offense over the past couple of years, I think more about running backs and tight ends, but. Um, they do have some pretty good playmakers that that are, uh, you know, have been recruited by Junior Adams. If I'm looking at his all-time commits page here, uh, you know, two two pretty good wide receivers in Jalen McMillan, who recently hit the portal. Um, and then you're also looking at Romo Dunze, uh, two four-star guys. I believe they're both All-Americans coming out of, um, out of high school. So, you know, seeing that he's a young guy and he's proven that he can recruit, um, I don't think that that should be the only thing that people value. I think that that sometimes gets lost in the mix here. When, when you're looking at the situation that Oregon's in with a young coach, you know, you want to bring in uh, a guy that can recruit and he has X's and O's success, right? That's what Mullins was talking about when he was laying out kind of what they were looking for in the hire. He, they, he said that they wanted to get a guy who can recruit and he is a good X's and O's coach. Cristobal could recruit like hell, but obviously we saw that he had deficiencies as a uh, X's and O's guy and, and game manager from a head coaching perspective. So I think that uh, it's good to see some recruiting prowess with uh, Adams. And, and I think when you go from Washington to Oregon, just think of how much better of a brand you're selling. You know, UW can say that they have a national championship, even though it's, I think that there are definitely some, some asterisks there. Uh, and it's obviously super old, but I think if you're going from, recruiting at a Washington to an Oregon. I mean, the, the upside, I think the, the floor and the ceiling both get significantly higher for a guy like Adams when he's going to talk to these wideouts that he wants to come play for him at Oregon. Agreed. Yet another win over Washington, which is fantastic to see in terms of this kid. But yeah, really savvy recruiter known for that. And again, seems like this staff overall is built to really compete on a really high level on the recruiting trail, which is extremely important. But yeah, Washington, I think, had a pretty impressive receiver room. I think most of their offensive woes were due to the quarterbacks that they were working with. So I don't necessarily think that the lack of great production this past season for UW receivers was directly related with Junior Adams. You know, it's... 
it's it's something where the receiver room is going to be really important next year. And I think we got a really good glimpse of that. And we'll touch on this more here later on when we're talking about the Alamo Bowl. But I think seeing all the all three of those young guys get on the field together was really impressive. And their potential is super high. They've got super high ceilings, all three of them. So with Junior Adams being able to kind of get into that room and command that core group of guys, I think that's going to there's there's some real potential for the Ducks receivers to be a real problem for for the rest of the Pac-12 next season. Definitely want to get into talking more about that wide receiver group as we get into the Alamo Bowl coverage here in just a little bit, um, Stephen. But I also wanted to talk about Wilson Love, uh, another one of the big reported hires for Oregon, has uh, since kind of been Twitter official with uh, Love tweeting out a picture of the Oregon weight room uh, earlier this morning. I think that was really big. Um but yeah, let's just talk about the importance of, of uh, the strength and conditioning coach. I mean, uh, you look at Aaron Feld, he uh, you know, kind of penned his goodbye to Oregon uh, a couple days ago. He was a, a tremendous asset for the Ducks, I think, when you just look at, you know, how those guys were looking physically on the field. Um, that was a, a big advantage. You know, I think people got skeptical of him and maybe unfairly so when they were experiencing a tremendous amount of injuries this year. But I think overall, just you're looking at the the level of, you know, the physique that these guys are coming in with and then how the strength and conditioning team can just help take it that much of a step further. I think that's really big. And and I've talked to guys and believe it or not, the strength and conditioning coach is a huge part of the recruiting process because, you know, the that both the athletes and their families want to know how they're going to be taken care of. They want to know, uh, like what Feld was saying, like we're doing everything for a reason and we're doing it a certain way like this we're taking care of these guys and um you know we've seen how important it is to have a guy at the helm uh that knows what they're doing in the weight room to to get these guys bodies ready um because even if they don't play right away the the strength and conditioning staff gets those guys ready to go and, and really hit the ground running um maybe be as a redshirt sophomore or their second season in college yeah i mean for any successful program i think if you're talking player direct personnel so guys who are involved more intimately with the players than potentially like a ceo type of coach the strength and conditioning staff specifically the strength the head strength and conditioning coach is i think probably the most important role especially for the culture of a team coach feld was obviously very you know he was a big part of the culture that was built down here under cristobal and eugene very noticeable uh, figure great for the brand. I loved him. I do agree. I think he got some unfair criticism here towards the end there, but yeah, it, it, when it comes to time spent with the players, the strength and conditioning staff spends more than anybody else. And especially in the off season. And like you said, when someone's a freshman, maybe red shirting, so they're not going to be getting a ton of reps in practice with the first team that could, they're really, their, their main contact with the, with the staff is that strength and conditioning coach. So for any successful program, I think it's an incredibly important position. Recruiting is obviously something that goes into that as well. I mean, look at pretty much any player who goes on Twitter and announces that they are either transferring or that they are entering the NFL draft. And you look at the list of people they think. Guaranteed first or second person that they're going to be thanking is the strength and, strength and conditioning coach. It's also somebody where let's talk about if there's a player who maybe thinks you know, is potentially thinking that they should get a little more playing time, maybe considering going into the transfer portal. They're talking to the strength and conditioning coach about that probably before anybody else, because again, they've got a more intimate relationship with them. They're in the weight room with them every day. 
they're growing as people and literally with their bodies with this coach. So it's an incredibly important hire. You can't miss on it. You really can't because it's at the foundation of everything, safety, speed and efficiency on the field, strength. It all sort of is at the core of being on the field and successful in football. Absolutely. And you look at some of the stops that, that, uh, uh, Wilson Love had, you know, prior to, to getting out to Eugene, uh, most recently at Ole Miss uh, yeah. with Lane Kiffin, Lane but he was also with Kiffin at FAU. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was an assistant football strength and conditioning coach at, at Alabama um, after, let's see here, um, after serving with two seasons with uh, the Tide in 2015 and 2016. So I think this kind of opens uh, another interesting little thing. Uh, point that we can hit on here just before we get to the Alamo Bowl, Stephen, it's just about pulling from the SEC. Obviously, that's the the gold standard of football. Um, I don't think that it would be smart to argue that at all. I mean, just look at the national championship and the two teams that we have playing for. They're both from the SEC. Um, and just from top to bottom, they have the, the best teams and overall strength, I think. So, Kind of what I want to get at is, you know, I think I see the value at pulling from the SEC, at pulling from someone who has had that experience at Alabama. Um, but I think at the same time, sometimes it can be overvalued to a degree. Like, I don't want to say, oh, look, the landing hire is a home run because he was with Saban at some point uh, or the Wilson Love hire was, you know, a home run because of that. I think it's a plus for sure, um, but I don't think it's a make or break. But I will say at the end of the day, it certainly gives me more confidence that a hire is going to work out if a guy comes from Bama. I agree. And it's not the end all be all, but when you've got, especially again with landing a coach who doesn't have direct head coaching experience, we know that he's seen Nick Saban do it. We know that he's seen Kirby smart do it. So you've got to think if the guy ever gets his back against the wall, what's he going to do? He's going to think back on what he saw Kirby smart do in that situation and what Nick Saban do in that situation, which generally has worked out for those two programs. So, Again, not the end-all be-all, but it does, I think, instill just a little bit more confidence, especially in this youth movement that, okay, they're young, maybe inexperienced, but the experience they do have is, like you said, the gold standard of college football. Now, I think it also plays big with recruiting because you do want to have guys who have West Coast ties and West Area ties as you start, as your sort of base. But you want to have guys who have got people and coaches they can call all over the country, especially in the South and the SEC uh, recruiting country. It's it's Southern California is great, but I feel like Florida, Texas, those States are a little bit more fertile in terms of getting those studs that are going to be playing for you. So being able to have those guys that have maybe not even ties, but connections at those spots, I think is just as important as off or on-field experience. And then just just real briefly, Crystal Ball was known as trying to make Oregon have sort of an SEC style. And I would agree with that, but I think it was two or three years outdated in that, look at the SEC now, Alabama, Georgia, they're airing the ball out, scoring 35 points a game. It's not just power football anymore, but the recruiting has still been the same. Get the top guys at every position and you breathe, live, breathe it every single day. They're talking about recruiting at every single meeting, even prepping for the national championship. So that sort of recruiting uh, style and that sort of uh, emphasis on it, I think is also going to be translating, which is going to be huge. Definitely. I, I'm excited to, to see the love and what he does to uh, these guys on the team and, and how he can develop them. 
also, if you look at the timing, the early enrollees are, are starting to arrive in Eugene. So really important to have that guy in place uh, for, for landing um, to get these guys whipped into shape, you know, to kind of mold them into the players that, that landing sees as those guys that can really help the Ducks uh, get this thing going and, and uh, ultimately get ready for spring football. And then uh, um, a game with Georgia to, to start off the 2022 season. Um, but I think we've been, we've kept the people waiting long enough, Steven, let's talk about the Alamo bowl. Um, you know, better late than never. I know this is a little late, uh, seeing that the game was a few days ago, but I wanted to hop on here and, and give my thoughts on the game with Steven ducks losing uh 47 to 32 to the Oklahoma Sooners in the Valero Alamo bowl in San Antonio, uh, a game that I think I wouldn't say it had a lot of anticipation, but really just a, a weird buildup to this. Uh, when you think about Mario Cristobal being on the, the zoom to accept the, the bowl invite when there was all the smoke swirling uh, about Miami. Um, and then, you know, just a few days later, you, know, you got him saying, you know, it's tremendous opportunity to play a great team. And, you know, we're excited to have another chance to, to, you know, build and improve. And then a couple of days later, he's getting introduced at Miami. So just another example of how crazy, uh, you know, college football has, uh, you know, really shifted with regard to the coaching carousel and then uh, Oklahoma themselves had Lincoln Riley leave. And then Bob Stoops came back to, uh, you know, take the interim head coaching duties over for this one. And then players from both schools uh, transferred and opted out for the NFL draft. So it just uh, set, set the stage for quite a unique matchup um, out there in Texas. It was a weird vibe going into it for all the things you mentioned, right? The coaches being the most obvious thing. So my first question going into it was who was going to respond better to that kind of adversity that both programs have been going through. I think that Oklahoma had a little bit of an inherent advantage with Bob Stoops coming back in that sort of motivational category. It's hard to top that. How many legends do you bring back for one game like that? And on this Oklahoma team, those kids weren't recruited by Bob Stoops, but you can sure bet that they know everything there is about Bob Stoops and the legend that that guy is out there in Norman. So, you know, it, it was strange buildup in that sense. You're right with the opt-outs and people being hurt, not playing. We knew Oregon's defense wasn't exactly going to be the unit that it could be heading into that game. And that was definitely exposed. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but the buildup was definitely strange. And you would think that let's just go back in time and let's pretend in an alternate universe here that Lincoln Riley never left for USC and Mario Cristobal never left for Miami. I think this game is huge. The buzz is so much bigger. It's two premier programs, especially of late in the college football era uh, that it's, it's, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was very excited, obviously, regardless, but I think nationally it did not garner the attention that it generally would without all this smoke going around the past month. So it was definitely an interesting buildup uh, heading into that, into that game and into kickoff. And Brian McClendon hit on that very point, Stephen, you know, going into this, he was saying, you know, this, we're not looking at this game like we're playing some chopped liver, I think is one of the quotations I remember him saying, you yeah, know, we yeah. have a chance to play Oklahoma. Um, you know, a matchup for these two teams that has, has given them some pretty notable games uh, in, in their history. You think back to the Adrian Peterson days and and uh, some of the, the previous games that we saw between the Sooners and the Ducks, uh, they, they were super entertaining. Um, but, you know, the Ducks have a chance to get to 11 wins, ultimately fall to 10 and four to end the year. And for some reason, I guess I didn't really think 
it kind of hit me when I was reading one of uh, Dylan Rubin King's uh, articles. Uh, you know, if you guys aren't following him at DRK Sports News, you're missing out. He's doing a bunch of great stuff for us. But it kind of I read one of his sentences when I was editing. It was and it was about the Alamo Bowl. The Ducks lose three of their last four games to close out the season. And I feel like if I'm a Duck fan or even if I'm a, you know involved in the program, like I'm a player on this team, it, it I can't help but imagine that you're kind of finishing the season with a, a bit of a sour taste in your mouth, seeing that there were, you know, some really, really good highs and some horribly low lows. And then to see Cristobal leave and, and things kind of unravel down the line uh, the way that they did uh, certainly make it a tough, tough pill to swallow for this team, I think. Yeah, certainly never want to go out losing a bowl game. You know, it is your last game up until next fall. So you do have that sour taste in your mouth for a while. I will say, though, it seemed a little different in that, and we've talked about this before, I've sort of already, and I'm sort of ashamed to admit it, but I've sort of already looked up, looked forward to 2022. I'm already kind of looking ahead. And I sort of had that mind state going into this game. Like, you know, really excited to see what Georgia was going to do after, after this game and, and see how landing was going to look with that defense. And so going into it also, I didn't expect, I didn't, ex- I didn't think that the ducks were going to win mostly because of the opt-outs and absence of players on defense and injuries. I just thought that that was going to be too much. And that's, that's what ended up happening. Right. But there was also some stuff that, yes, it was a loss. And, but I, I think it was different than the two losses in Utah or against Utah. With those, it was not only that the Ducks were outplayed in every facet, but there wasn't a lot of fire. It seemed like once they got down, there wasn't much hope. I I, I wouldn't say that there wasn't effort because there obviously was, but it just seemed it seemed a little more deflating for the for the entirety of those two games. Whereas this game, as we saw in the third and fourth quarter, the Ducks showed some fight that I haven't that I think a lot of people hadn't seen. Uh, for during those, you know, adverse moments of the season this year, especially against Utah. And so overall, I'm kind of encouraged. I think it's, it's pretty funny to see the final stat line, Anthony Brown outpassed Caleb Williams. I don't think anybody would have predicted that at all going into this game. So, you know, we'll touch on more about the kind of contrasts and styles in the first and second half a little later here, but uh, overall with the loss sucks, it's not fun to lose that game. Oklahoma is going to have bragging rights for however many years it is until these two teams play again. But with the fight that I saw with this team, I'm, I'm encouraged overall about how that kind of is going to flow over into spring practice and into the 2022 season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I like the point about the, the fight for sure. Just not totally rolling over. I think that it was kind of a tale of two different halves. It felt like, you know, Verone McKinley was saying in the postgame presser, I feel like we just needed a little bit more time, you know, maybe we string together one more stop. And then the way that the offense was starting to get things going a little bit at the end, um, maybe we're looking at, you know, only a one score game or even closer. Um, but as we kind of get into the Alamo Bowl here some more, um, if you guys are here in the live stream, uh, definitely go into the the live chat and, and kind of let us know your thoughts on the game, any specific points that you want us to hit on, any questions that you might have uh, that'll help us guide the show. Because at the end of the day, like I've said before, this is for you guys, for the fans, for the viewers, the listeners. Um, and if you're listening, we're on uh, YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus. So I uh, want to get to a couple uh, couple quick comments and you know we'll, we'll hit on them as, uh, as we see more. Uh, Chunky Monkey says, Happy New Year's, guys. Happy New Year's to you. Thanks for tuning into the show. Chunky Monkey's been a, a frequent viewer for us. Always appreciate the continued support and seeing people come back as is the case with Nick. And Nick said, the Alamo Bowl, the first half they played too conservative. The second half is the kind of football that Oregon is capable of uh, playing. And I think that's a, a really good way to put it. Kind of goes back to what we were saying about, um, you know, a little bit of a tale of two different halves. Uh, only six to three, uh, Oklahoma led after one quarter. But then in the second quarter, Oregon was outscored 24 to nothing. And they went into the half trailing 30 to three, um, you know, it felt like they had a, a, a chance for really most of the first quarter, but I think things kind of just progressively got sloppier. Um, but they did play, things did kind of play out, at least from a defensive standpoint, kind of how I expected them to, right? You know, you have DJ James hit the portal, one of your more experienced uh, defensive backs, especially at corner. And then Mikhail Wright opted out to uh, prepare for the uh, uh, NFL draft. So that really just made the Ducks super thin at corner um, with, uh, Let's see, uh, Dante Manning and Triquez Bridges getting the, a majority of the the snaps there. And then Jalen Davies got some um, some snaps as well. A true freshman that really hasn't played uh, all season. And then uh, Bennett Williams made his return in the secondary. And the Ducks were missing a lot of big pieces uh, in the trenches. Uh, I don't yep. believe Keon where Hudson played. Uh, KT obviously wasn't going to play. Yep. kind of figured that was going to happen. Um, I think if they went, if they played in the Rose Bowl, I might have been a little bit more hopeful he would have played. But the way that things go, I feel like, uh, are, are in college football. I think a lot of people, if they're not in the playoffs, the reality is that they, some people, I'm not saying this is all players, but some players kind of view it as not as worth it. And everyone has different, you know, beliefs on, on opt-outs and everything. And, and I'm not a player, so I feel like I'm not really at place to, to comment too much on, on opt-outs because these guys are in position to, to make millions of dollars and become professional athletes. I'm just here to talk about it. Um, but all that goes to say, Stephen, that the Ducks were pretty depleted on defense. So I kind of more or less expected Oklahoma to run it up on offense. Yeah. Again, defensively, I really wasn't surprised at what happened. It, I believe at one point during the game with the three or four linebackers that were out there on the field at that time, the the, the booth, the team in the booth mentioned that there aren't any other scholarship 
linebackers ready to go for the rest of the game. So if one of those guys went down, we'd have a walk on essentially out there playing linebacker, which you wouldn't expect to see in the Alamo bowl. It's a big, it's a big bowl. So that was the, the defense was incredibly depleted, but you know, for me, it was almost a a tale of three games in a four quarter span, right? The first quarter six, three, it felt a little bit to me, Stanford vibes this year sort of got that. I thought it was going to be a close, definitely hit the under sort of game. And then bam, the second quarter happens and we just get blitzed, just get boat raced. Uh, I believe in the second quarter from that going into the third quarter, it was touchdown, 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 and field goal. So as a defense that is so depleting and it's depleting for an offense too, right? Because on the defensive side, you're thinking, all right, the offense hasn't been able to do anything. What's it, it feels like we're not going to be able to get any points, even if we do get a stop. And then the offense, you're thinking, okay, well, we need to be perfect because if we happen to make a mistake and have to punt the ball or there's a turnover, we're going to get scored on. And so I think it's sort of infectious around an entire team uh, once the defense isn't playing well. But again, it was to be expected. The third quarter and the fourth quarter, I was super, I was super engaged. I thought it was awesome. Again, they showed the fight. Uh, that you know nobody rolled over. Uh, there were some big effort plays in the game. I mean, one that comes to mind was AB, I believe, was throwing the ball out of bounds and out of nowhere, like a rocket. Um, uh, seven came out of nowhere trying to make the play and almost made a catch. Seven McGee almost made a catch on that play. So um, it was just crazy to see him finally throw the ball in the second half. Max, I'm, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on what it was like to finally see uh, some air under the football. Uh, and, and success, they were successful with it. It's not like AB was missing these throws after they started to finally air it out. He had three beautiful touchdowns that were over 30 plus yards each. I believe one was even 55 yards. So I'm really curious to get your thoughts on what, what your, what you were feeling as you saw the ducks kind of creep back by via throwing the ball. That's what I think a lot of fans were, were thinking, Steven, you know, as far as my perspective, you know, I found myself asking, where has this been all year, right? I mean, how can you not be asking that? But I think that goes back to uh, a point that um, Nick had, uh, Nick Batty, in his takeaways. This Joe Moorhead offense looks totally different without Mario Cristobal at the end. Because I think that just drives home the point that, um, you know, Cristobal wasn't letting Moorhead uh, run his his version of the offense. And, um, I mean, was every deep ball that Anthony Brown threw this season perfect? No. But he looked so much better in that bowl game. And I also just got to think for him mentally playing through all the criticism this year, he was probably just looking at it like, hey, you know, this is one more one last shot to, to show what I can do. And, and I'm really happy with the way that he, you know, left it all on the field. He was talking about playing through injuries the whole season. Um, you know, I, there were definitely some some mistakes in that Alamo Bowl that were kind of head scratchers for me. Um, as has kind of been a pattern this year, but just from a passing standpoint and, and having the confidence to and the boldness to take some shots downfield, that was really, really refreshing to see. But kind of like I was saying it, with the whole where has this been all year, it, it, it kind of leaves a little bit of a mixed mixed emotions because it's like, wow, this was so great to have it for this game. But, um, you know, what could have been? I think that that regard kind of leaves it with uh, something to be desired. Um, but I think with, with those deep shots that he was taking – uh, I think my favorite one was probably the touchdown to Troy Franklin, just because it was a pretty solid throw by AB. And then, um, and then just to see Troy Franklin, like that play, like Troy Franklin had a lot of good plays the the whole year, I think, 
but just because of the way that the offense was limited, a lot of them came on short intermediate routes screens. And like you see a play like that and okay, that's why we brought a big time receiver like him to Oregon. You see some of his abilities, which I think is, is, uh, you know, awesome. He's a really talented wide out. And then to see Dante Thornton, you know, for him to get that wide open on that long touchdown run, that speaks to not only his get off the line and, you know, getting away from his defender and just the speed that he has. Um, so that definitely gives me a, a lot of confidence um, in, in the young receivers going forward. And then Chris Hudson had a heck of a game as well. He had another big shot as well. Heck of a game. Um, I'm so touchdowns. excited about Hudson. So excited about his potential. I think he's going to be the clear leader of that room going forward the next few two, three years. Yeah, I, it was great to see him, especially because he kind of came on a little bit earlier, it felt like, than, than Franklin and Thornton did towards the yep. end of the year. Thornton had the his first touchdown on his first touch against yep. Stony Brook at the beginning of the year. Um, but Hudson was one of the only bright spots in, in both Utah games, it really felt like. And it gives it gets got to give Duck fans a little bit more confidence, especially when you're looking at the attrition that they uh, uh, faced, uh, are facing rather uh, at the wide receiver spot with Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red both going down with uh, season-ending injuries. Um, neither of them are going to be back next year. Micah Pittman transferring to FSU. Uh, I wonder what and, Pittman was thinking watching this game. I wonder if oh, he, he was, was tweeting. He was tweeting. He was like, you know, they have receivers. I think are some of the tweets that I remember seeing. It was. Yeah. It seemed like it was a little passive aggressive, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I if I'm in his position, I can totally understand where he's totally, coming from. Yeah. I, and I got to say, too, it made me think possibly I was a little too harsh on Anthony Brown. And, and let me tell you what I mean by this. I thought that he was unable to throw the deep ball because he was given maybe one or two shots every game, and it didn't work out most of the time. But now thinking about it, that's sort of what started when we started airing the ball out in the third quarter of this past game. I believe he missed his first one. And it was an overthrow. And I'm like, great. All right. We're never doing that again. And I think it was the first game where they basically gave him the, gave him some more, um, you know, some room on the leash to be able to do it again and again, to be able to build those completions and build that confidence. And so I started thinking, wow, if maybe if we had given him the time in other games to get some of these, you know, get some of these shots out of the way and then continue to go to the well, he would have hit on the well, the, the, you know, as the game progressed, which is exactly what happened this game. So uh, it really was kind of, you know, I don't know, shocking is too strong of a word, but it was very clear that the crystal ball, that crystal ball, I think was holding this offense back and had his fingers a little too much into it. And, and Moorhead, like we talked about earlier, it was almost like down 30 to three, I'm going to Akron. This is my last chance to be, you know, coordinating this offense with this team. Screw it. Let's throw, let's just throw the ball boys. And they responded. Um, and it was really awesome to see. Yeah. I, I love to see it because, you know, a good running attack can only get you so far, uh, you know, Oregon's not one of these service academies that, you know, runs the triple option. Yeah, yeah. Literally, like, but it kind of felt like that at times, right? It's like, what what use is it? Not what use is it? I shouldn't say that. Let me backtrack. But like, they're just, their passing offense was just so pedestrian all year. It, so it felt it was, like at times there was a running back playing quarterback. Let's be honest. It felt like there was a running back playing quarterback. And it was a disservice to Anthony Brown. I mean, it's only one game, but I mean, seriously, he looked like two different players after he connected on that first deep shot. It was like he was just locked in, like statistically his best game of the season, I'd say. And Oklahoma's, I mean, they're 
They've had defensive problems the past few years that have been exposed on big stages. We all know that, but there's certainly no schmucks on defense. And so, yeah, it was, I don't know. I was, I was happy to see it. I was a little melancholy in the sense of what could have been right. But yeah, I, overall, I thought it was really good to see. And I'm glad Moorhead did it because if they didn't do that, if they had continued to pound the rock, it would have been 60 to six. It would have been such a bad, you know, showing in terms of the overall score. And there was even a point in the second half there, Max, where I started doing the football math, right? Two scores. Okay, we get a stop now, get another score. There's about eight minutes left, blah, blah, blah. You start doing your football math, right? Where if everything goes the right way, this will happen. Almost never happens the way you want it to. But when you start doing that football math, you think you're genuinely back in the game. Whereas in the beginning of that game, the first half, it was over. So it was really encouraging second half, honestly. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's the, the point that we kind of keep getting back to. Um, really refreshing to see AB, you know, air it out um, to, to end his career as a duck. Got a couple of questions and comments here that I want to get to coming from uh, Adam Walsh. His question is, is Dillingham on site? I noticed Wilson Love is. Go Ducks. Yeah, Dillingham is on site. Um, I actually got to, to meet him um, before one of the last pressers that Brian McClendon had uh, before the Alamo Bowl. Um, in Eugene, so he kind of came and and uh, got to meet a lot of the reporters that were there. You know, got to shake his hand, which was cool. Um, you know, super young guy, as, as you know, as you uh, as we all know, um, but seemed really nice. I think he shook some hands for people who weren't even I didn't even recognize in the Oregon media. Like it was just maybe some fans or locals that were passing through. So maybe that's just uh, speaks to kind of the guy he is. But super nice, he is on site. Um, and uh, looks like he's getting to work doing some recruiting, sending it. We're seeing a lot of offers coming out that are uh, that are citing him. So definitely valuable to have him uh, on site in Eugene and, and able to work with these guys uh, while they wait for landing to wrap up at Georgia. Oh yeah, totally agree. I mean, I think that the youth movement with him being 31 years old, uh, it's going to be huge for the team. It's going to be exciting in terms of recruiting. Um, and everything I've heard and read about Dillingham is that he's a, he's a stud. He's obviously a very young guy, but he's, he's got really good experience. He's worked with Bo Nix. So I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, storyline that comes out of uh, spring and fall camp. So yeah, but he's on site. He, like you mentioned, he's already recruiting. Like there is offers that are sort of tied to his name already. So yeah, everybody on the staff seems to already kind of be hitting it and hitting it hard while landing is sort of doing the de facto two coach role. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see what the next question was here coming from Andrew. Thanks for the question, Andrew, and for tuning in. Andrew said, I'm so terrified of Bo coming and setting Oregon back another three years. Ty has earned his spot. I hope they don't let some washout take his spot. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, this is going to be pretty much probably the biggest talking point for Oregon football other than recruiting, you know, heading into next season, heading into the spring. I think I, I definitely see where you're coming from with saying that Ty's earned his spot. You know, a lot of people thought he should have been put in at multiple times throughout the year. Um, you know, you look at uh, particularly those Utah games um, when there was no chance that they were going to win. I think it made a lot of sense to bring him in. I thought that this Alamo Bowl would be the best chance to see him. Um, particularly because if I'm looking at some of the reasoning that maybe he didn't play, uh, this would have been his fourth game of the season. So he could have held onto that red shirt. If he played in some of the earlier games, he wouldn't have been eligible for, uh, the Alamo bowl if he wanted to eligible to hang on to that red shirt. Right. Um, so I think Ty's definitely done his time, but so have all these other guys. I mean, you look at Robbie Ashford and Jay Butterfield, they were both here before Thompson. 
Um, so they're obviously chomping at the bit and they want to get their fair shot at uh, the starting quarterback job. So I think that bringing in Bo Nix is, is a move I ultimately liked because I think that you need to, you know, kind of give yourself a, a floor as an offense and, and have a guy that can, uh, you know, you can turn to. Let's say Ty Thompson does get the job or any of these other young guys get the job. If, if anything happens to them, they get hurt throughout the season. You just find yourself in the same situation, turning to another tr- another freshman that really hasn't played any college football. Um, so I think by having Nix in Eugene, even if he doesn't win the job, you, you have a, kind of a safety valve to uh, turn to that, that has some experience. Um, albeit and then also in the SEC, which is good. And like we said earlier, that's not the end all be all. I don't think that should be the only reason that Bonix is a, a good addition for Oregon. But I, I can understand the concern. But I think with the new staff, um, I, I have a little bit of confidence, at least early on here, that, that they're going to give all these guys in the quarterback room a good shot. And, um, you know, the, the best guy is going to get the job. And, and um, I, I could see why a lot of people want to see Ty, uh, you know, finally get the reins. Yeah, I mean, people who have watched me, you know, our videos know how on the Ty Thompson train I am and I have been since he was a senior in high school. So I think that I'm encouraged, one, by Ty's response to all of this, right? And he's been tweeting out stuff every time there's been some sort of Bo Nix news, it was, whether it's 10 toes on the ground or just, you know, a heart and a duck emoji. Just He seems committed to the program, obviously confident in his abilities to win a job, which is what you want to see. Uh, you don't want a quarterback who at the first sign of trouble, especially a young one is going to leave. You want him to be uh, looking forward to that competition as opposed to running away from it. I think thinking, thinking more about this as I was again, worried about it too. Uh, Bo, Bo Nix coming in immediately. I was a little worried, but I think it's an insurance policy for landing when it comes down to it, because we don't know what these three quarterbacks look like. We know the hype around them, but we don't know. They don't have enough on-field experience and reps for us to be able to make an accurate prediction of what their skill set is going to be on the field. Now, I think with Bo Nix coming in is if the worst case scenario happens, i.e. Thompson, Butterfield, and Ashford, all three of them aren't exactly ready or would be the best option for the Ducks to go on a run for 10, 11 wins plus and the playoff, then Bo Nix is a perfect person to slide in there where you don't have any drop off from the season before. So as an insurance policy, I think it's great. And if it was a guy who doesn't seem as as confident in his abilities as Thompson seems to be, I would be a little more worried as well. But yeah, I, 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 I think it's going to be an awesome competition. I'm really looking forward to that aspect of camp and what comes out of that. Now, I do think at least one of them is going to leave. I don't think Ashford, Butterfield, and Thompson all stay with Knicks next year, and we have them four on the sideline, or them four in the quarterback room. I think one of them is going to leave. But I'm really excited to see what the competition is going to be. And I think overall this is going to push that room to be more successful and this team to be more successful. And let's say Bo Nix doesn't win the job and something happens to Ty Thompson. Who else would you want as your backup quarterback than the guy who's just been starting at, at Auburn for the last two years? I think it's awesome. Plus, he's got a relationship with Dillingham already, so it's not like it's going to be somebody learning a completely new playbook and um, new terminology and all that stuff. So now the more I think of it, the more I think it's a positive development for the Ducks, assuming Thompson and the rest of that quarterback room is open to the challenge. Yeah, and they got to they gotta get a fair shot, and they're definitely owed that. Um, I think another part you talk about not knowing what the quarterback room looks like, 
I think a lot of that goes back to the last staff. We already talked about having chances to put another quarterback in and they didn't do it. I think another thing that this kind of goes back to is just the way that these games played out this season. You know, I, I don't know if I've said this with you before, but I've definitely said it on other podcasts. You know, Oregon was head and shoulders above multiple teams. You know, most of the teams that it played in the Pac-12 this year, but they played so many close games. And because they didn't, I know, I, I know players and coaches say, you know, you're not going to apologize for winning and I'm not asking for that. But the reality of the matter is you've won a lot of close games. If you, you know, were able to get some big wins and really open some of these up, then hopefully you can get some of these young guys in and then you're not in this situation where you have a little bit better uh, understanding of what your sample size looks like and kind of what you're dealing with. Um, but at the same time, Dillingham uh, is a new addition to the staff. So, um, you know, he doesn't know what any of these guys look like in his offense. And um, like you were saying, he has some idea, some familiarity with Knicks, which will obviously help the situation. Yeah. I mean, real quick, I think that's such a, such a great point that you just made max is that with Oregon playing down to competition, it seemed all year, they just didn't get the chance to have these guys hit the field. I mean, there's so many times in the stadium when I was there this season, the beginning of a game against, you know, Stony Brook against uh, Arizona, when they came in against Cal, people were saying, I really hope it's a blowout so we can see Thompson and see some of these young receivers. And it wasn't a knock on a B or the starters. It was that let's see what we've got. Because that's what that's what's really fun about college football. If you're on a if you're a part of a really good program, is generally you get to see the future a little bit with some of these big time wins that you get uh, with large margins of victory. And it never happened this year at all. So yeah, it's it's it was interesting in that sense too because we truly don't know what we have. We really don't, and we weren't given the opportunity to. So I think that's a really fantastic point that is really important to keep in mind in terms of the the Bonix because not only does Lanning not know from him not recruiting these guys, but he doesn't have any tape to go off of. It's not like he's looking at practice film. He's he's at Georgia, so it's uh, it's definitely an interesting little wrinkle. I think that's a really good observation. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, and it's it's, it's just a reality of the situation, and that's where the Ducks find themselves at. Um, and I think that the fact that they weren't able that they were playing down to their competition a lot. Um, and those situations, um, you know, speaks to the offense being hampered by crystal ball to a degree and um, just how they have some more work to do and how they have, uh, you know, they got to build out some depth at a, at a variety of positions. Um, we have one more uh, question and kind of some uh, news that I wanted to uh, talk about with returns and, and whatnot before we get out of here. So let's get to this question from uh, see me on to big screen. Thanks for the question. Thanks for tuning into the show. What value do you feel it has for Oregon by having landing coaching in a national championship game? I feel like it's huge. Yeah. I mean, Steven, we were talking about this earlier. I think it's, it's definitely valuable for a variety of reasons, but getting a guy who has that championship experience and he, and he knows what the, the pedigree looks like. I think even if Georgia doesn't win, I think that you can still say you're getting a guy who has, you know, that championship pedigree because he's around programs that have gone to the, the highest level. And, um, I don't know. I think Bama definitely has the edge at quarterback, but this is probably the best shot that Georgia's had in a while. So if they win, it's it's only going to look even better for Oregon. But I think it is important that people know that, you know, it's not necessarily Lanning's defense. Like he obviously is the defensive coordinator, but I was talking to Brooks Austin, who runs our uh, Georgia site on SI. And he was saying, you know, Lanning is is a great coach, but there are obviously some some other minds uh, at work here with, with uh Kirby Smart and uh, Muschamp, I believe, um, uh, and another guy on that Georgia staff. I need to double double check that. Um, 
but yeah, so, some other good other good names uh, are certainly at play here, uh, and I think that it's only going to help Oregon to have a guy that's coaching in these big games. Yep, any type of exposure, I think. In, in a stage like this is, is, is important for people watching for recruits. But again, it, obviously Dan Lanning is not the only hand in this defense, but for me, what gets me excited about watching him coach is the interaction that he has with his players. You watch him talking to his defense and they are zeroed in. They are hanging on every word this guy says. And this guy is fire. He's, he's sweating. He's got the play chart coming off his hip. He's got his wristband on. He's, He's locked in, locked in. Not every coach is right, but it's just it seems different when you're watching him. And maybe it's because I'm just so excited about the what he's going to bring to Eugene. But again, that was like that was like the coolest part of that Michigan and Georgia game to me. It was almost what I focused on most. Was every time Landing was on the screen, I'm like, God, I'm so excited we got that guy. I'm so excited that guy's going to be in Eugene and it's going to be amped up even more on the national championship. Every storyline is amped up on the national championship. It's certainly going to be talked about by the broadcast booth. I'm sure if he gets any interview time prior with any of the, you know, you know, big names at ESPN that they're going to be asking him about what made him leave Georgia, what it's like focusing on Georgia and the Ducks job at the same time. What I'm getting at is that it's always going to be coming back at some point to a comment about the ducks. And that's what you want. So you want that recognition. And so I think it's huge that he's going to be getting some exposure. I think it's big for the program. And again, I just love seeing it because you do get an insight into what you're going to be getting on the sidelines next year in Eugene. And I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm definitely uh, echoing all those points. And then one of the other big name I was looking for was uh, Glenn Schumann, uh, another big guy, uh, brilliant football mind on that, uh, that defensive staff for, for Georgia. Um, so I think that was obviously pretty, pretty beneficial to, to have them. Uh, and then, uh, okay. Yeah. So it looks like Will Muschamp uh, is uh, another one of the co-DCs on that, on that staff uh, with Georgia. Um, just to kind of wind down here, uh, Steven, I think some of the other big uh, NFL draft news that we kind of got, uh, basically, the entire offensive line is coming back for uh, 2022, which is Ooh, great. Can't wait. Can't uh, wait. That's huge. Got got Sala. Uh, he announced before the game that he'd be uh, coming back after initially declaring for the draft. So that's huge. Uh, Steven Jones is coming back as well, uh, even though he, he wasn't one of the guys that played as much football for the Ducks. Um, but he definitely came in and got a lot of uh, a lot of snaps once Ryan Walk got hurt. Um Ryan Walk also Ryan announced that he's coming back. back. Yep. So everyone's going to be back on that uh, offensive line as of right now, um, except for George Moore. Uh, you know, those guys that we saw kind of starting uh, to solidify themselves really as that main five, um, which I think was one of the biggest differences between the start of the season to the end was uh, really starting to see some more uh, continuity um, along that offensive line, um, which I think is, is good for any team. 100%. Again, like I mentioned before, the offensive line to me is the most important unit of a successful football team. And the cohesiveness of that unit uh, really determines the success of at least the running game and uh, quarterback protection, obviously. So it's hugely important to me having all these guys back. And with line play, it's I think experience is more important 
at that position than at other positions, just because the technique aspect is so important uh, because you've got different types of people with uh, different athletic abilities. They're all big guys, but when you're coming, you're talking about uh, guys on the line, you need them to be able to have impeccable, uh, impeccable technique to be able to make up for deficiencies in speed and size that oftentimes come up when you're playing against uh, those big guys in the trenches. So that cohesiveness that is built uh, over four years, plus the technique three, four years with these guys together is huge. I, I, I was extremely pleased when I saw that news. It's it's to me, that's one of the most important things that has happened so far in this very young off season is that these, these linemen are all coming back and running it back. Andrew had, had a great point here um, after losing Kingsley to uh, BYU. So he said, so pumped the O-line is coming back after losing Kingsley and Banks. And then in parentheses, and probably the Washington guard who decommitted, talking about Dave Uly, um, who I believe decommitted on Christmas Day. So kind of an interesting day to to make that decision. Um, yeah, Merry but, Christmas. Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel I feel like I'm uh, fairly confident that he's probably not going to be coming back in the fold when you're looking at uh, Crystal Ball going out to Miami, and then Mirabal changing his bio to reflect that he's the new offensive line coach at Miami, like a lot of us expected. Um, I know that USC was heavily involved in that recruitment. Um, prior to Yuli committing to Oregon. So I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up at USC, but that just goes back to the point um, kind of like we were making earlier about the receivers and how they're uh, they're really poised for a great year. I think yeah. the attrition that we're seeing along the offensive line on the recruiting trail, it's big to have these guys coming back. And then uh, you also have uh, Michael Wooten signed in the 2022 class. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The last point I wanted to make here, as far as the draft uh, draft, Decisions, Verone McKinley, Oregon Consensus All-American Safety, has declared for the 2022 draft. So uh, that safety room and really the secondary as a whole is looking pretty young. You know, you're looking at guys returning. Bennett Williams uh, is going to be coming back. He had a really funny graphic because they didn't make one for him where he just pasted his face. I think it was on TJ Bass's and he just said, I'm back. So that was really funny. You should go find that on Twitter if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, but Bennett Williams back is huge. Definitely makes a lot of sense considering he missed most of the season with a uh, an injury and then um, you'll have Jamal Hill back at safety. So that's another guy who plays, who's played a lot of football. Steve Stevens figures to be back, even though he uh, missed the rest of the season after getting hurt in that Colorado game. And then um, you think about Triquez Bridges and Dante Manning, and then some of the, the younger guys like Jalen Davies, Darren Barkins that should be back. But it is also maybe worth re- uh, referencing and noting that DJ James hasn't committed elsewhere yet. So maybe that's a guy who's still kind of has the door open uh, Lanning obviously wants to uh, try to have him stay if, if possible. And then getting Demetrius Martin uh, as a coach is is pretty uh, significant, I think. And it's good to have that piece in place to uh, maybe get him to stay on board. But um, you understand a move like that for James, seeing that he's uh, from Alabama and and is one of Crystal Ball's guys so um, that he recruited. So hope, hope that he can stay in Eugene, but wouldn't be surprised if uh, he ended up uh, finding somewhere else. Yep, McKinley leaving is going to be a loss. Not not super shocked about it, though. I mean, kid's an All-American, so uh, I would love to see James come back. We'll see what happens with that. But this team is – we all know how young this team is going into next year. They were 75% underclassmen this season. So, overall, I don't think it's – it's not like we're losing the entire – Oh, sort of, maybe we are sort of losing the entire second. But either way, I'm excited about I'm excited about these young kids that we have there, uh, both at safety and at the cornerback position. Absolutely. Well, before we get out of here, Stephen, uh, where can people find more of you? And uh, always want to give you a chance to uh, you know help help grow your following or 
anywhere else they can find you. Appreciate it, Max. Yeah, right now, main thing that you guys can follow me on is Twitter, SB Sports 541 working on getting a YouTube channel set up as well to be able to kind of put this, uh, this content out on there for you guys. Uh, but yeah, give me a shout. And then uh, Max is going to give him, give a little plug as well here. But uh, if you don't follow Max, definitely go do it. Uh, it's actually uh, before Max and I connected, he was one of the, I was a, just a big fan of his content that he's putting out there. So he's, he's always on top of the biggest news and biggest stories, especially when it comes to the ducks and the recruiting world. So go give Max a follow Max, where can they find you? Appreciate that, Stephen. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at mtorres sports. That name right there on your screen. Uh, tweeting all the time, tracking the ducks and the biggest stories. And then if you're watching the live stream on YouTube, kindly ask that you go ahead and hit that nice red box and subscribe to the channel at Oregon Football Max Torres. Been really fun doing these, and the subscription is, uh, you know, it's free. Only takes a second out of your day, and it is a tremendous help for us. And then go ahead and find more Oregon Ducks content at ducksdigest.com. And go ahead and rate and review the Ducks Dish podcast on your uh, um, Spotify apps and Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, but those are all the platforms that you guys can find us on. I uh, really appreciate you guys coming in to tune into the show. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Take care, everyone. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.